Greetings and welcome to another episode of Two Ball Guys. My name is Eric Giordano and I'm the Executive Director of the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service and also known as WIPS. And I'm really glad to be joined by my co-host, Dave Anderson. Thank you, Eric. And yes, I am Dave Anderson, a Senior Policy Fellow uh, here at WIPS. Uh, today, we've got a really great show lined up with a fantastic, fantastic guest who will help us answer the question, can we heal the divide in America? For those not familiar with WIPS, we're a unit of the University of Wisconsin system founded in 2007 with a mission to educate and engage citizens, develop future leaders, and bring the resources of the university to address community identified needs. Dave, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that we're at the end of January. I mean, time is really flying. Um, and it's interesting, I don't know about you, but in my life, I think I'm measuring everything in terms of when I think I might receive the COVID vaccine or when my family members are receiving the COVID vaccine. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, I'm probably a little further down on the priority list, but I'm really happy that we're moving forward as a state and a nation really to, you know, to get over the, the hump here. In the meantime, I really hope our viewers are keeping safe and doing what they can to minimize the number of people who contract the virus uh, down this home stretch. Look, on a lighter note, I, I'm kind of anxious for this weekend, Dave. You want to know why? Why is that, Eric? Well, it turns out that one of my friends just asked me to do his hair for a virtual reggae party this weekend, and I'm really dreading it. Get it? Dreading it? Uh, Eric, I get it. But it's, first of all, a little surprising to hear that you have friends, and especially to hear that you have friends with hair. Meanwhile, you know, I got to tell you, I, uh, I happened to hear two snowmen talking in the park this week. Uh, one had lost his hat. And the other said, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were bald. To which he replied, it's that darn melting ice cap. Get it, Eric, the melting ice cap? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I, I really feel honored that you shared that with me, Dave, though I do <laughs> offer my sincere apologies, especially to our newer viewers. Uh, by the way, to our newer viewers, you know, of course, we're world renowned in our own minds for our hair jokes and puns. If you have any words of wisdom in the form of hair jokes or puns of your own, you can put them in the Facebook chat section or email us at info at whips.org. That's info at wipps.org. And now it's time to acknowledge and thank our incredible producer, marketing coordinator, chill hop DJ, and token representative of an attractive younger demographic. Thank you, Luke Rudolph. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Luke. I guess Luke's not going to make an appearance here today. I was hoping he might pop on, but uh, we appreciate, oh, there he is. There he is. Uh, we, we appreciate everything you do, Luke, and uh, you really contribute to, uh, a lot to the success of the show, and we appreciate it. Well, Eric, I think it's time for us to get to today's special topic. Can we heal the divide in America with our special guest? Um, we want to remind viewers that if you have questions for our guests during the show, uh, please feel free to ask them in the Facebook chat. Uh, and now it gives me great pleasure to welcome Rich Harwood, author, speaker, and president and founder of the Harwood Institute for Public Innovation. After working on more than 20 political campaigns and with two highly respected nonprofits, uh, Rich Harwood set out to create something entirely diff different. Uh, over the last 30 years, Rich has innovated and developed a new philosophy and practice on how communities can solve shared problems, create a culture of shared responsibility, and deepen people's civic faith. 
Um, Rich has invested his career in revitalizing the nation's hardest hit communities, transforming the world's largest organizations, and reconnecting institutions like newsrooms and schools to society. His most recent book is entitled Stepping Forward, A Positive Practical Path to Transform Our Communities and Our Lives. Welcome, Rich. It's really great to have you on the show. It's good to be here, and I appreciate you inviting someone who it does not qualify as the third bald guy. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for having me. There yeah, you go. Rich, I don't qualify yet. I think I'm on my way. <laughs> well, while we are honored to have you, you know, I, I have to say, Rich, you don't earn any brownie points for that wonderful head of hair you got there. <laughs> anyway, Rich, you've said out loud that you have never seen things so bad in our country. And, and I know your message in general is forward looking and a message of hope, which I'm, I'm anxious to get to, but, but can you start off by giving us a little bit of a diagnosis? Like what's wrong? What went wrong? How did, how did we get here? Well, you know, first of all, I, my message still is forward looking and, and like the prophets, I would say that, that if in fact we want to look forward, then we always have to be willing to look at reality for what it is. And so when I think about looking forward, I see a reality today, as, as, as both of you know and your listeners know, um, where we are facing four simultaneous unprecedented crises in American society that I think have laid bare uh, challenges that we have been facing for years. I mean, look at COVID. 19 and the disproportionate effects that it has had on black and brown people in our society. Uh, and it has had a disproportionate effect on people who don't have adequate access to healthcare and a disproportionate effect on people who suffer from mental health um, uh, uh, crises. We face um, economic upheaval, which is not only um, critical right now, but it has um, laid bare again, disproportionately hit um, working class folks, uh, rural folks throughout the, uh, Wisconsin, um, people in urban areas, uh, people who can't afford to work from home, uh, who continue to be exposed to this um, pandemic. So um, we face a racial reckoning that, um, you know, has been crystallized, was crystallized um, with the murder of George Floyd, but but as as we all know, this has been with us since before the founding of the country. We've been um, experiencing um, racial discrimination, systemic racism, social injustice for 400 years. Our, our country was founded on original sins of of the enslavement of people and the taking of land from Native Americans, um, and these problems have persisted throughout our history. And as Whips deals with all the time, we we face a political crisis. Now, some people believe that this political crisis just came about in the last four years. It has become more acute for sure. But look, I've been studying this challenge for 35 years and we have been on a downward trajectory in terms of our politics and public life in this country. Uh, far too many people don't trust their political leaders. Far too many people don't trust civic institutions. Far too many people don't trust religious institutions. Far too many people don't trust corporate America, far too many people don't trust their neighbors. And so all of these things, I think, conspire to put us in a situation that didn't just happen overnight, but has been brewing for 30, 40, 50 years now. And we're feeling the full effects of it now. And if I can just say lastly, we face a fundamental choice in our country right now. 
we can wallow in despair, we can give in to what's happening, we can fight one another tooth and nail, or we can decide to step forward to reimagine and recreate our country, our communities and our lives um, and, and go forward in a fundamentally different way. And I think that's the choice that we face right now as Americans. You know, that's a perfect segue into, uh, into my first question of the show here. And, you know, organizations like WIPS and the work that you do at the Harwood Institute, I mean, we're, we're really trying to bring people together to work productively for the, for the common good. But it seems when you, when, you, when you consider the factors that you just talked about, it seems that there are really many in society today who are tired, cynical, and have just determined uh, the best way forward is either to fight yeah. uh, or to simply disengage and, and, and not be involved. Um, some have become warriors. Others have become uh, rather than peacemakers. Um, others have gone simply to ground and just, just aren't around anymore to, 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 to get engaged. C can you convince us that there's another way forward? I mean, is there another way forward from oh, where we're at right now? I'm I'm working in Jackson, Mississippi right now, and some people say it's one of the most polarized communities in America, according to the Pew Research Center and other places, and, and people there are coming together to work on all sorts of issues. We're working in Clark County, Kentucky, which is a rural community, where they felt left behind and left out, like many rural communities in America, where they had an opioid and meth crisis, where kids felt abandoned, even though they were going to Blue Ribbon schools, where the community was divided by religious, um, geographic, economic, racial divisions. And look, that community has created more change in two and a half years than I've seen in any community I've worked with in 30 years. So here's the thing. If we believe that somehow or another we're gonna create change overnight, then we're on a march of folly and we're creating expectations that we will never be able to fulfill. If we believe that we simply wanna convince the other side to come to our side, then I think we, we won't have very much success. But if we want two couple things, one is if we want to reach out to one another and find like-minded folks who are willing to begin to get on a different path to not only talk with one another, but to do things together and to build together and to create together then I think there are possibilities for us to take small steps forward and begin to get on a better, more hopeful, more just, more equitable, more inclusive path. But here's the thing for those folks who are tired, as you mentioned, who feel that the challenges are too overwhelming, who feel that, that if they're not all things to all people that somehow they're failed. And these are all the folks that I talk to every day and you talk to as well, right? And what I say to them is, look, uh, you have to use your civic energy judiciously. Our civic energy, our individual civic energy and our collective civic energy is not infinite, it's finite, it's finite. And so we can't go running off half cocked and trying to be all things to all people and to take on every challenge that comes along. We have to be really intentional about where we wanna put our efforts, about who we wanna work with, about the kind of change we think is possible. And in doing that, I think we have to recognize that all of our efforts, no matter how large or Dave, how small, are worthy, that they hold value. And I think this is really important because I think so many of us get signals each and every day that if somehow our efforts aren't complex, 
if they're not big, if they're not comprehensive, if they're not, you know, sophisticated sounding, that somehow they don't hold value, that they're not worthy of something. And what I say to folks is we need everyone. We need your efforts, both large and small, because the most important thing we can do is restore our belief that we can actually come together and get things done again. And that may be just doing something with your next door neighbor as much as it might be figuring out some comprehensive solution to COVID-19. We need both those things and everything in between. Yeah, thank you. That's really wise. I, I, I absolutely appreciate that. Um, Rich, one viewer wrote to us and asked a question and, and we at WIPS have heard a lot recently this type of question. Now this version happens to come from a progressive person though we've heard similar questions from conservatives uh, as well. So you speak of bridging our divides but the other side does not seem inclined to do so. Some of their most extreme members even talk about civil war. Is there a difference between extending an olive branch and the politics of appeasement? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, there's a huge difference. The politics of appeasement means that you don't stand for anything. The politics of appeasement means that you don't have convictions. The politics of appeasement may mean that you don't hold values, that you're willing to go in any direction. Um, I don't think that's what America is about. I don't think that's what our country was founded on. I don't think that's what pluralism was intended to be. I think pluralism is about uh, having honest, open, intense debates. It's that we don't agree on everything. I, you know, people often ask me, you know, do we need more civility to agree on everything? I'm like, I don't want more civility. I want more honest debate. I want more tension in society because tension creates creativity and innovation and new ways of thinking about things and new pathways forward. So, so yes, appeasement, no, there's no room for appeasement here. Extending an olive branch, well, I think extending an olive branch in the sense of, of um, being a person of goodwill, but how about a third option? How about if we extend our, our willingness to see and hear one another? How about if we extend our willingness to afford dignity to each and every individual as a birthright, a God-given right, not something that you earn over time, but that is afforded because you're here on earth? How about if we, we come to the table being willing to entertain other ideas that maybe we hadn't thought about before? What about if we think that we don't have to agree on everything or even most things, but we simply just have to find a couple of things to agree on so we can get to work together and see that we can actually build something together and in the building together, restore our sense of shared humanity together. How about if we start there? I don't think this has to do with appeasement or extending an olive branch. I think it has to do with being pragmatic. I think, and there's a, as you both know, there's a rich tradition in America called American pragmatism about focusing on what works, about how we can get things done together, about being practical about things. And I think that's where we need to get back to. You know, as, as Eric knows, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a student of history and, and I'm just gonna insert a, a, a personal observation here. And, you know, I think a lot of times people think, oh my gosh, we've never dealt with anything quite like what we're dealing with today. But the fact of the matter is our history is riddled oh, yeah. with times and, and, and instances where, where society has dealt with very, very difficult issues. And I, I think we sometimes lose track of that, which doesn't diminish 
um, the significance of, of the ordeal that we're going through now, of course. But I, I just think it's important to keep that in perspective. But I, I want to get back to your, I, I want to get back. If I could just say real quickly, if it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think your point's such a wonderful point, and I think it's so critical to the conversation we're having today, which is we don't need to be optimistic about the future. I think we need to have faith in ourselves because of the pathway we have we have made over the over the since the founding of the country. You know, we founded this country against King George because we we wanted to refuse tyranny. We uh, abolished slavery because we believed that it was wrong. We fought for women's suffrage because we believed it was right. We fought for child welfare laws and civil rights laws and voting rights laws because we believed that we could create a more just, equitable, fair society. We are a tarnished country. We started with stains on our civic fabric called slavery and the taking of land from Native Americans. But we have improved ourselves over and over again through hard times. And so the reason why I have hope about the future is the very point, Eric, that you're raising. It's because we have demonstrated time and time again that we can do better and we can be better and we can get closer to a more perfect union. We're never gonna get there, but we can sure as hell get closer to it if we work at it. Well, I mean, just, just having you on the show today and having this conversation, in fact, gives me a, maybe a, a lot more hope than I had coming into today's show. So I, I really appreciate your, 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 your inspirational comments. And uh, I, I think you're, you're, you're kind of getting me, you're getting me to the point where, where I need to be. But I do want to talk a little bit about that pathway forward that we talked about earlier, um, a kind of a path to break the current impasse that, that we have. In fact, I, I mentioned it in your introduction. Um, uh, you've written a book called A Positive Practical Path to Transform Our Communities and Our Lives. And you started a campaign called Stepping Forward. We'll get into some of those details maybe in a moment, but give us kind of a broad brush. What, 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 what's that all about? What's, what's, what, what's that vision? The vision is, is simple. It, first, I think it starts with a choice that we face, as I mentioned before, which is we can, and, I, and you know, it's funny, I, I wrote this before these four crises, as we know them, emerge. And the, the campaign that you're talking about, which I was on the road for, 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 four or five months, I went to 20 or 30 communities in four or five months. Um, and then it had to stop because of COVID. But, but the choice even before these crises, but now in particular because of them is we can go down a path of division and acrimony and, and, and despair, or we can choose a path of healing and hope. And in this book, what I lay out is what this path looks like. And I'll just mention four quick things that I think are really important. As much as I believe that we need action on a national level or in Madison in your state capital, I happen to believe that the action we truly need has to be in our local communities. Because as I mentioned before, it's there that we can see and hear one another, we can turn outward toward each other, we can afford each other dignity, we can get things done together and demonstrate that it's possible. So that's number one. Number two, I believe we have to see ourselves as doers again. Too many of us, as you said before, you know, we, we see ourselves as passive consumers of public life uh, where everything is supposed to be done for us or maybe unfortunately to us. I think we've got to see ourselves as builders, as partners together, as co-creators of our civic life and of our public life and of our political life. And in doing together, we get a sense of agency. We restore our sense that we can shape our future, not just our individual future, but our common future. We can, we can see that 
that we each have gifts to offer. In the book, I call talk about this in terms of the human spark that we each we each have. And so, I think we not only have to step forward to engage with one another, but to do things, literally do things, build things together. Third, I think we need to make a commitment to reclaim our can-do spirit and can-do narrative in this country. In too many places, I don't know about you guys, but in too many places where I do work, the narrative is an ingrained negative narrative of things we can't do, of progress we can't make, of all the things that didn't work out. And yeah, we know lots of things didn't work out in a lot of communities, but there are lots of things that we can do. And I think there are ways, genuine, authentic ways, not through public relations campaigns and, and communications campaigns, but genuine stories of hope that emerge from communities where we can restore our can-do spirit and can-do narrative. And then lastly, much like WIPS, uh, the Harwood Institute believes that we've got to focus on what matters to people. And if I could just say one quick thing about this, too much of our public engagement of our engaging in society is around our problems. It's around what's gone wrong. It's around who's to blame. That just puts us in a cul-de-sac of toxic discourse. That gets us nowhere. The alternative to that, unfortunately, has become these visioning exercises where we blue sky about, you know, dreaming about the perfect community we want to create, which we know is not possible and is not relevant to what we really care about in our daily lives. And so I think there's an alternative. We've got to get serious about focusing on people's shared aspirations, about what's in our guts, what really matters to us in our lives, and what we can create together moving forward. And if you ask people about their aspirations, there's something interesting about them. They're always actionable, they're always doable, and they're always achievable. Um, because people want to talk about things that really matter and that they can act on together. And so this book this is a longer answer than you probably bargained for. But this book is a lays out sort of what these steps look like and is imbued with a vision of how do we create a society where people really do have dignity, where we really do see and hear people, where we really do value one another, where we really do believe that community is a common enterprise, where we really do believe in a culture of shared responsibility. Because I think without these larger ideas, these steps we can take won't be enough. We need to reclaim these larger ideas in American society. Well, can, thanks. Er, er, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Can, I just want to ask a quick follow-up. Uh, as er, Eric also knows, uh, I'm very heavily involved in my local Rotary Club and actually beyond my local Rotary Club. And you know, one of one of the tenets of Rotary is that you know you're you're really not involved in partisanship, right? I mean, you 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 welcome everybody with open arms, and and you work together for the community good. Do you see organizations like Rotary or other civic-minded organizations as a vehicle to help accomplish some of the work that needs to be done I think at the local vital. level? I think they're absolutely vital, and one of the things that the institute does is is we work a lot with organizations as well as individuals and ad hoc groups and networks. But in terms of your question, organizations in communities, I mean, we've, we've worked with 400 United Ways across the country. We've worked with scores of public media across the country, including Wisconsin public television and public radio. We've worked with scores of thousands of public libraries now. We think we've got to reconstitute, we've worked with rotaries in lots of communities. We think we've got to reconstitute civic-minded organizations, some 
legacy organizations like Rotary and United Ways and some newer ones that have just sort of come up in the last five, 10 years or even the last year or so. Uh, but here's the thing, uh, Dave, we've got to get these organizations to adopt a mindset, I believe, of being turned outward toward their communities where their reference point is their community, not their own conference room, where they really understand what matters to people and they align their work to what matters to people, not simply to their own strategic plan that some board created because they wanted to get more funding, where they are more concerned about the civic health of their communities than their own survival. Because here's what I've learned over the years, organizations that do good work and are relevant and significant and impactful in the lives of their communities, they raise money. People wanna give them money. People wanna work with them. People wanna partner with them. So the equation here is not rigging up a better fundraising campaign. The equation here is rigging up a better way to be more relevant and doing better work and having real impact. And that will bring you money. That's the equation we need to get to. So I could go on about this, but I think this is one of the pivotal things we've got to focus on in really practical terms when we work in local communities. Thanks. And you know, no apologies at all about going on with the book and that comment, because quite frankly, I'm just sorry we don't have time to talk about this. This is just so important, so relevant. But you know, with that in mind, what are some concrete steps that that people can take? Like, like, you know, let's say we've got viewers watching now wondering, okay, well, this is very aspirational. What can I do? You know, you know, is there some example of something I, I can do uh, to get for, to move forward on this path? Sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, and I think people are doing this. So I, I think part of this is making visible things that we're already doing that can help us with our own imagination. Look at, look at COVID-19 and the response to that, Eric. I mean, look at, look at how many folks in local communities formed ad hoc networks to make sure that elderly folks and other folks who were shut in got phone calls every day, got their groceries delivered, got uh, their prescriptions fulfilled. That is an example of the types of things that we can do. Look at, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in, you were telling me before we went on about the work you're doing with students across the state in Wisconsin, right? And one of the things that, that I'm really excited about that's happening is that through COVID, we've had to realize that there are many more educators in communities than just public schools right, that neighbors are educators, that we can bring kids together and create learning pods, that we can create access to the internet, that libraries and museums can not only just put on good programs for kids on weekends, but they can become part of the active educational process on a daily basis. These are all the types of things that any of us can start to do and that each of us can do in our local communities. You know, one quick story about Clark County that is really exciting, if I could just tell this really quickly they face an opioid and meth crisis. They weren't making any progress on it. The public health agencies- I just want to give a Clark County, Wisconsin, you're talking about in Kentucky, right? Just want to Yeah, right. hopefully, hope to God that this wasn't happening in Clark County, Wisconsin. Um, but in Clark County, Kentucky, like a lot of communities across the country, they face an opioid and meth crisis. They weren't making, they weren't making progress despite all the things that they were doing. These two women who were in recovery themselves went to church one day and heard a sermon um, on uh, recovery. That led them to go to a conference, I believe in Louisville on recovery. At this conference, they learned, these are just two ordinary folks. At the conference, they learned about how they could create local coaches. They got this idea to create local coaches 
to meet people who had overdosed on opioid and meths um, at the emergency room. All these coaches were people in recovery themselves. Why was this important? Because people, when we talked to them who had, who had overdosed or were addicted to drugs said they didn't feel anyone had empathy for them. They felt when they went to the hospitals, they were judged. They felt that they were pushed out immediately after detox and no one supported them. So these coaches met them at the hospital. Not only did they meet them, but they then um, helped them get into treatment. Not only did they do that, but they followed them through treatment. Not only did they do that, but they helped them build social networks. Not only did they do that, but then the hospitals and the clinicians and the doctors all reached back out to these two women who were in recovery themselves and said, would you train us in how you do this work? Because obviously you're doing something right. These two women then started a storefront downtown called Achieving Recovery Together, where people can go in, get treatment, get support, get job training, get support in finding a job. And this was just two women who didn't have this idea before they went to church that day and before they went to this conference and before they came home. And look at what they did. Now that's a remarkable story. Most of us won't be able to do something like that, but why couldn't we be part of something like that? Why couldn't we support something like that? And I think there's all sorts of things we need in our society. And if I could just add one last thing, what COVID has taught us with these two women in Clark County, Kentucky have taught us is we need professionals, we need public schools, we need, also, we need doctors, we need public health workers, but we also need people in local communities to step forward to, because that's how we build local communities together. And that's how we each bring our talents to the table and marshal them collectively to build something we couldn't have built if we didn't step forward. Rich, wow, this is impressive. Uh, thank you so much. The time really flew and we're out of time, unfortunately, but how can people get a hold of you uh, via the Harwood Institute? Could you just give us a little plug on that? Sure, you can um, go to our website, which is theharwoodinstitute.org. There's lots of reports and books and free resources that you can, that you can get. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, um, like WIPS, we have a live Facebook and uh, live face, uh, what are they called? Uh, Facebook Live and, and uh, live streaming and uh, and podcasts, and you can get access to those. and And um, we'd love to hear from folks. And you can you can reach us through our website as well. Thank you, and we'll be posting a link to your book uh, on our Facebook page as well. So we invite viewers to check it out. It's worth a read. Uh, thank you, Rich Harwood, for taking the time to share with us uh, some hope, uh, some great ideas about bridging the divide in our nation and our communities. Um, so thank you. We really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks for having me, really appreciate it. And I would just like to add uh, my appreciation for your appearance here today. And Eric, thank you for being such a great uh, co-host. And I'd like to wish everybody a great weekend as well. So thanks. Yeah, and we just wanna once again, apologize to Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, for having to reschedule again <laughs> next week, but I just got a note from his agent and he will be back with us. So we're excited. <laughs> We'll see you next week, everybody.